Welcome to Ms. Interpreted, her podcast of public relations and strategic communications demystified by Kelly Fletcher and Fletcher Marketing PR. I will be so frank in telling you and very excited in telling you that the next generation is going to rock it. Like I have had the best experiences with every single, and I do a ton of speaking with in classes and I've done some executive and residence programs and I'd spend a lot of time with students and it, I am, I can't wait until they take over. I can't yeah. wait. Cause they're not yeah. going to take any crap. They don't, they don't take <laughs> any crap. They don't allow any sort of misogyny or unequalness or balance or inequality or anything. They don't allow, they don't allow it and they won't stand for it and they always say something and they believe in the work that they're doing and what i really like is that things matter to them welcome listeners to the misinterpreted podcast i'm kelly fletcher ceo of fletcher marketing pr and joining me as always is fletcher senior strategist mary beth west Hey there, Kelly. Hi to our listeners. And incidentally, we happen to be recording today on hashtag World PR Day and what apparently is an inaugural event this year, I think. Yes, it is. It's the first year and it's great that we get to recognize our industry in this way. And kudos to our colleagues in Africa at BHM based in Nigeria for founding this first time event in partnership with industry associations. I think PRCA is involved. Oh, yeah, they are. They, I was going to say, I really want to thank you, Kelly, because you had written a blog post for the PRCA UK blog in London today. I think it just posted this morning. I saw it. Yeah. So and you, so you give it blog. a yeah, you <laughs> gave it a great shout out. And in my view, we need some good news for a change. I was just thinking it'll soon be the dog days of summer and. Speaking of dogs, the public relations agency business has been hit by some bad looks lately. Well, I, can't I think. disagree with that. Yeah, yeah. It it may be World PR Day, and I'm all for celebrating that. But we can't sweep under the rug some of the seizing headlines in our industry right now. I saw the news a few weeks ago, about a month ago, about a man who founded and was leading a large global agency. He got really drunk at a party by his own admission, and is quoted in the trade media that reported on it behaved inappropriately towards some men and women at the event. And I'm thinking it must have been pretty bad for it to land in the international news. I'm just thinking, I don't know, how drunk can you get and what would you do? But anyway, he ended up resigning. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And I think the agency positions itself as a, quote, premier CEO consultancy and a crisis management firm. They had General Motors among their clients. I think according to reports, GM severed ties with them pretty immediately. It's one of those things where anybody can make a big mistake on an occasion, but I think that women in our business in particular have to ask out loud, how pervasive was this kind of situation predating this incident? And is there really a bigger story here? Well, I think so. And I've wondered the same thing and it didn't escape my notice that after the agency leader resigned, his firm released a statement and actually thanked him for his leadership and dedication. And that's not exactly what I call an accountability stance. It's kind <laughs> of like a wink, wink. Sorry yeah. it happened, dude, but uh, yeah. thank you for your service. And I'm sure you're getting a big payout. Yeah, I, I would register the same kind of reaction to that. And seeing 
just this past week, a separate incident, not in the PR industry, but in state government. A woman in leadership was publicly fired and with the male-led decision makers releasing detailed accounts of all the ways they say that she failed in her job and an all-out public shaming. It, the same thing happened with the first female chancellor at a university that will go nameless because I'm feeling generous today. Um, several years ago, when the administration became disenchanted with her, they fired her in an outrageously in my view, public airing of all their perceived issues with her performance. It was something they had never done before with a top male administration leader, um, including one from a few decades prior who was proven to have been having a relationship with a direct subordinate. So it's like not all rules are applied the same way, are they? No, they're not. And it's these kinds of incidents that make me glad we have this podcast, because not only can we talk about these things, we can lift up and celebrate women in leadership, particularly in our own profession, which is about 75% female, who are doing a great job lending voice and modeling great leadership and best practices. And this is not a man bashing podcast at all. It just so happens that we're both women in PR. The name of the podcast is Ms. Interpreted for a reason. Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd say without question, it's, and it's not all bad news out there. There are, to your point, Kelly, there are plenty of men who are fantastic leaders and mentors for all of us. I've had some just wonderful professional mentorships with with men dating back to my formative years in the profession that that were very productive and very helpful to me. And it's past time, though, for the PR industry to take a closer look at gender equality as well as ethics. And we're going to be talking about some of those things today, which is why I'm so glad we have today's guest joining us. And now I'm very excited to have her here. Jenny Dietrich is in the house, founder, CEO, and author of Spin Sucks, host of the Spin Sucks podcast, author of Spin Sucks, the book. She has managed and grown her own agency for nearly 15 years, and she's still standing. <laughs> she is co-author <laughs> of Marketing in the Round, co-host of Inside PR, and co-host of the Agency Leadership Podcast. I got to know Jenny earlier this year when we were still all under COVID lockdown, and she's in Chicago. And I had followed her career for years and always really looked up to her. And I saw on one of her blog posts that she has a, a consultancy with other agency leaders. And so I signed up for a call with her because I was really, our business really struggled during COVID. We have a lot of hospitality and tourism clients. And of course they were impacted greatly. And so I just wanted to get on the phone with her and tell her about everything and see if she thought there were any holes in what we were doing. And so that's how we got to be friends. It is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is awesome. So welcome, Jenny. Welcome to Misinterpreted. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Podcast listeners can't see this, but as you saw, I have my intern here today. <laughs> yes. That's right. She's very cute. Oh. She's like, I can't figure out why six slick slime Sam is in Spanish. And I'm like, I can't do this right now. <laughs> Been there so many times, I can tell you. And she also, according to your earlier story before we started recording, has quite the active hamster. She does have an active hamster who they're nocturnal. So that hamster runs like 500 miles a night, but her wheel squeaks. So I was up all night listening to. <laughs> Which we jokingly were saying, 
PR can be a lot like being a hamster on a wheel sometimes. Mm -hmm. And we're trying to figure out how to change that. And we're happy to have you on the show. And I'd love for you to share with our listeners how you've evolved your consulting practice over the year and (laughs) what kind of work you're focusing on mostly now, particularly as we continue dealing with the ebb and flow of the pandemic. Yes. Well, you both know that there's one thing that's certain and that's the change is coming. Yes. And I started the agency out as a traditional PR firm. We did events Mm -hmm. and crisis reputation management and media relations. That's what we did. And certainly as the the advent of the Internet started to take hold and social media started to take hold and listening to your your conversation about men in the industry, there were a lot of men that were blogging. And I was looking at this going, what is this blogging thing and why is it only men? And is there something that we should be paying attention to? Is it something that we should know how to do to offer to clients? So. I was kind of looking at that. And as we were looking at that, you know, Twitter became a thing and Facebook for business became a thing and then LinkedIn and it has evolved. And we've all experienced that, right? Now it's um, TikTok. Now it's TikTok. Yes. Which I refuse to get on because Help. I have inside <laughs> knowledge about how they track you. And it's just, it's scary. Oh yeah. Oh, it is. You're but absolutely But every time right. somebody sends me a video, I certainly watch it. <laughs> I just don't have my own account. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, we really looked at How do we take the Internet? And my big thing has always been, always been, and I think we're going to talk about this a little bit later, too, but it's always been how do we measure the work that we do? And that's been one of the biggest challenges for the PR industry forever. Right. I mean, my entire career, for sure. And as data became available and we had analytics and we had all these digital tools that could help us, I discovered that there was a way that we could measure some of the work that we're doing is do we still do brand awareness? And is that hard to measure and is it hard to attribute for sure? But there is a portion of the work that we do that can be measured to business goals. And so the business that my agency has evolved with that, it has evolved in terms of we started to offer online courses and professional development. And then I discovered that I really enjoyed working with other agency leaders because I was working with my peers and I could do it in a way that wasn't competitive, that we actually got to do really good work together. I wrote a couple of books and we launched the peso model and there's like all this stuff and it's just you look at it and you and you think about gosh overnight success really does take 10 to 15 years yeah <laughs> sure yeah i'm 14 in so yeah I'm, I'm almost right there with you so you mentioned the peso model and you coined the peso model the terminology peso which states which stands for paid, earned, shared, and owned media, the model, if you're um, not a a marketing PR person listening to the podcast, it it contributed a great deal to our industry in helping people both within PR and outside of it conceptualize some of the strategic communication items in the toolbox Mm -hmm. of the digital age. And Mm -hmm. over the past five years or so, how do you think the public and media's understanding of what we do has progressed? Do you think it has progressed or has it regressed? I think it depends. <laughs> That's a good um, diplomatic answer from a PR person. <laughs> it, it it does depend. You know what I have found is that when you and and this is so tactical and it drives me crazy, but when you throw up the image of the peso model and attach the peso model with a, tactics attached to it, you throw that up on a screen in front of an executive team, they find they go, oh Mm -hmm. i get what you do because i think we've been pigeonholed into media relations for so long that when people say we need pr or we need communications what they really mean is 
can you get me in the front page of the New York Times? It, it, it's shocking to me how much that's still such a pervasive still, and one, yes. one dimensional yes. viewpoint of what PR is start to finish. It's yes. amazing. Well, I was so glad when the Oprah Winfrey show went off the air because right? I was like, if one more client asked me to get them on Oprah, I'm, you know, that was the yes. Alpha and the Omega. Yes, yes. <laughs> and and I'm here in Chicago, so they assumed that she and I were best friends. Right, of course. <laughs> Everybody did. And I was like, no. <laughs> well, you know, yes. Jenny, you're an in-demand speaker, both within the marketing communication sector and externally as well. And I'd love to get your perspective on when you're talking to other professionals who are outside of marketing, outside of PR, who are from maybe many diverse disciplines out there. Do you ever get the sense that PR people are doing too much advocacy for PR to other PR people as opposed to really talking about what we do externally for the power of public relations across other management functions out there and particularly getting not just C-suite folks to understand it, but the boardroom to understand what we do. Are we missing the mark? Absolutely. I mean, I always say that PR, the PR industry does a terrible job of doing its own PR. Mm-hmm. Terrible job. And I think I think that's attributed to a couple of things. I think, number one, as a rule, and this is certainly a generalization, but as a rule, communicators don't have P&L responsibility. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. unless you own an agency or you work inside an organization that respects and understands communications, you don't have P&L responsibility. So you don't truly understand how an organization makes its money or raises funds, or if you're a nonprofit or whatever it happens to be. And because of that, it's really hard for you to understand how to attribute the work that you're doing to the organization's goals. Mm -hmm. So I think that's number one. And I think number two is that we're a very creative bunch, right? We're very, very right-brained people. And that's really hard to make that jump because many of the things that we need to do from a business perspective have to be left-brained. And that's, that's makes it really challenging. So we all talk about to one another, I think you're right, that we need to do a better job of doing our own PR, but there isn't a uniform way of measuring the results that we, the work that we do to real results. And there isn't a uniform way of talking about it. I mean, there's a huge disparity between, like, we would all say we're not publicists, right? Like, it, there's a huge disparity between what PR is, what media relations is, and what communications is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting to me that we used to measure by earned media value, mm-hmm. ERV, yep. and we don't anymore. And I find us now we measure more by lead generation, yep. uh, typically. I mean, yep. whether it's a consumer facing client or a nonprofit or a B2B client, it's all about how can we measure either lead generation or how can we tie something directly to a sale. And the more sophisticated we get with that, I think the more we will have a seat at the board table. But you know, my job in corporate before I started my own firm, and we were a big consumer facing brand that marketed to women and 90% of our customers were women. But the only woman who ever had a seat at the table was the HR director. That's just abhorrent. I just, I can't believe that, that is, we still live in a world of uh, that. But, you know, just in recent weeks, we saw a major profile um, piece in a PR trade pub of CEOs from eight of the largest global PR and advertising agency holding companies, all men, of course. none of color. Of course. The PR industry is awash with diversity talk, especially since last year. But let's face it, it's 
I mean, it's it's lip service and it's been going on for decades now, looking at simply the gender issue. What's your take on where women stand in industry that's 75 to 85 percent female, but with overwhelming C-suite dominance by men? So I'm going to tell this story. I've never told this story, but I'm going to tell this story. Oh, good. There was an event here in Chicago probably five years ago. Now, I live in Chicago. I am fairly well known in the PR industry. I'm a woman, not a woman of color, but I am a woman. And I'm just going to tell him, say who it was. Sijin came to me and said, hey, we'd love for you to keynote this event. Would you like to do it? And I was like, yes, great. Here's my fee. And by the way, you don't have to. I'm here, so you don't have to, to pay for my travel or anything. So it's actually a reduced fee. They told me they didn't have a budget. Mm-hmm. And I was like, OK, well, then I'm not keynoting your event because that's like I mean, I'm now in a position to be able to turn that stuff away. And really, I think it's a big disservice to speakers for anybody to speak for free because then it devalues what anybody does. So I said, OK, you know, I appreciate that. And they said, would you be would you be willing to serve on a panel? And I was like, yeah, I'll do that. I have no no problem with that. Fast forward maybe a month later, and I learned that Mark Schaefer was keynoting the event. Not only did they fly Mark Schaefer here from Knoxville, Tennessee, and I love Mark. He's a great speaker. Mm-hmm. And no, this is not a knock, knock against him. They put him up at the Four Seasons and they paid a speaking fee. Well, there you go. That is unbelievable. Unbelievable. Oh, no, it's totally believable. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I mean, based on experience and based on what we've been myself. seeing happening, yep. going and And, and I, I know Mark as well. I reviewed his book one of his books he's a very prolific author and i respect his work and it is indeed nothing against him at all he is from our local area here but i mean just i mean taking his name out of the equation it's just simply the this kind of stuff happens all the time yep it's still happening all the time good for you good for you for just not acquiescing and going ahead and doing it because you thought it would be good for your career well, and I you know. stuck, like, you I stuck to your guns and you're <laughs> like, like, I'm not doing that no. for free. No. Well, let, let me also say kudos to you for calling it out on this podcast. I appreciate the fact that I think that the only way we start really troubleshooting these areas and getting companies to be accountable for what they're doing and what they're saying and how they're behaving and their policies is when they understand that when we observe what I consider to be misconduct or some form of clear double standard, double, it's yeah, double, double standard. standards, Absolutely. then, then yeah. they're going to be more accountable to it themselves if they know that we're not going to stand for that without right. saying something about it. Right. So, right. so, so good for you, Jenny. I appreciate your saying something about it. I will tell you that I had, I had it out with their CEO, who's no longer their CEO, but at the time I had it out with him. And I learned later that he sent an internal memo to the entire organization telling them that they were no longer allowed to work with me as an influencer. <laughs> okay. And so you get punished I got for punished. speaking. Which I kind of thought <laughs> was funny. I was like, okay, fine. Like, I don't care. There are better organizations, better da- media databases out there. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. Well, well, there's been such consolidation in the industry. It's like, it's all one big company now. So. It is, yeah. But that is also very typical is that if you. Sure push back based on factual information you are punished that's called retaliation and 
you know, in a lot of different entities, not just government entities, but a lot of nonprofit entities, that's actually illegal to do that. Well, <laughs> so, so you know, speaking, I, yeah. speaking of suck, spin sucks and just things that suck. <laughs> <laughs> Every single media database out there that I've ever used sucks. We were having and, a conversation about yeah. this as a staff team earlier this week, incidentally. <laughs> and we're like, should we switch again? And again, I think, I think when. Decision was acquiring agility. I think it was Trendkite because agility is was still. It tre- I, th- I think it was Trendkite because agility is still separate. Maybe it was Trendkite. I think it was. I don't know, but I noticed that the FTC was on our website, and I was like, "Well, that's weird." And I mean, they had looked at a lot of pages, and so I thought, "What is going on?" Ah. Like, you know, was something going on with an influencer that we we're using? And then I get a call from them, and they wanted me as an agency owner who had used the Trendkite service, we got on a call with like, I don't know how many attorneys. I said, sure, I'll be Why? glad to give you an opinion. And I mean, for an hour, they interrogated me about whether or not I thought that the monopoly was being created. And my what? bottom line response was, hey, look, if it improves the product, I really don't care right. because they're they're all so bad that if they can all get together and create one good product and we can just have one good media database <laughs> that right. we can use, I, that would be worth it to me. But that's a sidebar. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> well, it they must really have been okay because they went ahead and did it. So, yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. All end. kinds of breaking news going on in the podcast here today. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's nuts. Wow. I've I never felt, had I that felt happen. pretty important. I, I was would like, feel very important. Yes. I'd be like, look at me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I have to say on the gender equity issue, kind of going back to that, one of the first interviews that Kelly and I ever did together was on our local NPR affiliate here in Knoxville back in, I think it was in 2017, right after the Me Too issue was blowing up. And the other night I started watching the HBO series with Ronan Farrow, Catch and Kill. Mm-hmm. I highly recommend it. It's I about how he it. broke the Harvey Weinstein story. I mean, it's it's just I've only they have, I think, two episodes released at this point. Wonderful. Really so eye opening and just uplifting to see how he has championed women and, and the women who are in that situation. But I'll tell you what I don't love misogyny in our industry. There's plenty of it. We just mentioned that just a few cases in point, but it's just, it's so pervasive and it's not all coming from straight men, I might add. So you've kind of shared one anecdote from your career, Jenny, and and what you kind of dealt with as a speaker, just from a vendor, but is there anything else that you've navigated in these waters as a female leader of national prominence, just in your consulting work or say just like a, a past episode from earlier in your career that really shines a light on what women are having to deal with? Well, there's certainly the uh, sexual harassment from clients, which still happens. But the biggest thing for me, I think, is when I had just started my business and granted, I was very young and probably had no business starting a business. I had a prospect in the office and it was two men and they were like, this is great. We would love to work with you. Super impressed. When do we get to meet your husband? And I thought, well, is this like a trick question yeah like what, do you do i get to meet your wife and we like go out to dinner or what what is this yeah and so i said well what do you mean and they were like well doesn't he run the business no my husband doesn't even know what i do no <laughs> they, they did not become clients well you know that's kind of like because i've been single for quite a while and i love it this still actually happens 
so I just moved. So, you know, when you move, there's all these things that you have to do, like get a security system and get a yard service. And so, you know, literally just one of the companies still asked if my husband was going to be here, uh, both decision makers were both decision makers going to be home before they schedule the appointment. And I just, I laughed and I said, I'm the decision maker. Unbelievable. And and so in our business, because we specialize in helping brands reach women, we understand that not all women are the same. So it's all about segmentation. But one of the things that's still shocking to me is that how many CEOs just seem really surprised when I say, hey, did you realize that it's about 50-50, the women who are married in this country and the ones who aren't, those of us who aren't. So if you're only speaking to married couples, then you're really leaving about half your market share on the table. So wake up and realize, and it's only going to go down from there. I mean, people aren't getting married like they used to. So anyway, I don't even know how I got off on that. uh, No, 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 it was true. (laughs) And I I just think it's in the public realm. There is just such a lack of awareness about the, the power and the role of women consumers and women as decision makers. And it just flies right by a lot of executive management teams, a lot of brands. There's just a very myopic view about it. And it just kind of reminds me of you know, my mother and father and all the years that I was growing up, they had a very small business together. But my mother was usually the one who would go into the bank and deal with the bank on the different things that they had relative to the business. And she shared with me on multiple occasions, and this would have been in the 1980s, every time she had to deal with a new banker, he always asked about either, you know, like, (gasps) where is your husband here? Or point blank, there would be times when he, and it was always a he, would say, you know, for a woman, you you really know a few things about oh your. Gosh. But I mean, just for one, it was always you know for a oh. woman. You've, so I grew up hearing these sure. anecdotes. So yeah. from my teenage years going forward, and when I went to college, it was I had this built-in expectation of this is the stuff you're going to have to deal with. So anyway, yeah, another well, little anecdote. Well, one thing that I've been thinking a lot about lately is the environment we're bringing the next generation of mm-hmm. practitioners into. Mm-hmm from all diverse backgrounds and is today's PR industry an environment that they can be passionate about, feel good about what they're doing? Or is it one, is it one where they perceive equal opportunity to grow and succeed? And Jenny, you've spoken a lot to public relations conferences and communications students over the years. And what is your observation on, on the future of this career and uh, from the student perspective? I will be, so frank in telling you and very excited in telling you that the next generation is going to rock it. Like I have had the best experiences with every single, and I do a ton of speaking with in classes and I've done some executive and residence programs and I'd spend a lot of time with students and it, I am, I can't wait until they take over. I can't yeah. wait. Cause they're not yeah. going to take any crap. They don't, they don't take <laughs> any crap. They don't allow any sort of, misogyny or unequalness or balance or inequality or anything they don't allow they don't allow it and they won't stand for it and they always say something and they believe in the work that they're doing and what i really like is that things matter to them like Mm -hmm. my generation was very much like get a job and make a lot of money and for them it's so much it's very much like do we have a purpose? What is our vision? What are we trying to achieve? And how are we giving back to society in a whole, as a whole? And I love that. I love that because it's so important to all of them. 
that 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 is what's going to make systemic change. Yes. And, you know, one thing that Mary Beth and I are very passionate about and that we're just starting to try to lead a little bit of a charge on is no more free interns. Pay your interns, people. Pay your interns. interns. It's absolutely (laughs) ridiculous. Most of the time they're doing billable work if they're in an agency setting and they deserve to be paid. Yep. Well, it's illegal. um, to it is not illegal. pay your intern yeah. and then bill their time. Yep. I mean, that's something that the Department oh, well, of Labor will come after. It happens all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I remember pay your freaking interns. Yeah. yeah. About 15 years ago, a big Atlanta agency got put under investigation by the Department of Labor for those kinds of practices. Wow. And I remember it really got the attention of a lot of those in the agency business. I'm sure some people have forgotten about that, but it is illegal. It's not just that we aren't talking about, oh, it's just the right thing to do. No, it's following the law. (laughs) (laughs) No minor point here, people. (laughs) So, but one of the biggest bad reps that I've seen those of us in public relations confront is this lack, and you mentioned it earlier, Jenny, this lack of quantitative thinking Mm -hmm. in all Mm -hmm. levels of the industry. I have a lot of colleagues many in particular overseas who are, I mean, they're tremendous strategists, both in PR and in driving profitability and long range competitive success, which is really what we need to be doing. All of us as professionals is developing our careers where we have that role. And again, that just speaks right to your point that you made earlier, but I see some consistent competency holes and weaknesses too, among I think far too many practitioners And it's sometimes a difficult and impolitic type of topic to bring up because then you sound anti-industry when you dare to talk about it sometimes. Mm -hmm. But I do think that we need to up our game. And and that's my opinion. But I'd love to get your take on that. Like, where where are you seeing some of those other, those holes in the industry that all of us just need to be more aware about continuous education, continuous self-improvement? Yeah, I mean, I also think we need to up our game big time. It's it's frustrating to me. And one of the things I talk about when I talk about the peso model is we're the storytellers. We're the relationship holders. We're we're the ones that we're always almost always the front line of the relationship of customers, of prospects, the whole of loyalty, of trust, of engagement, of all those things. And marketing is kicking our butts at that. They're Mm -hmm. kicking our butts. There is we just for some reason. I don't know why as an industry we're passive and we're like, oh, okay, well, it's like (laughs) when my niece was probably 10, she was playing basketball. She didn't want to play basketball. She had no, no desire to play basketball, but her dad thought it was important that she play different sports to see what her thing was. So we were at a basketball game and their dad, her team is dribbling down the, down the court. And one of the other teammates comes up and tries to steal the ball. And she's, stops and she picks up the ball and she goes oh here and hands it to them to the other teammate <laughs> which we we all joke about today we think it's hilarious and she's found her thing now and it's not basketball but that's what i think about when i think about the pr industry sort of with the marketing industry is we're like oh you you want to do content marketing okay here you go oh yeah. oh you yeah. want to do social media okay okay well we don't want to make waves so here you go and that's what it feels like to me is that we're just handing the ball to the other team and letting them take it and run with it Mm-hmm. Well, to your point, about seven or eight years ago, we actually added the word marketing to our company, to our business name, getting PR, because yep. we had to claim that space. Yes. Or like to your point, we really weren't going to have enough work because especially yeah. in this changing media landscape where there are less and less media outlets and more and more citizen journalism and more and more 
everything is taken at face value on social media as a fact and as a <laughs> <Right>. source. <laughs> Yes. You know, I mean, it would just run us out of business. So yeah. and, and there's so much integration between the two if you do it right. So we made that change. And I think that it, that's been helpful to our business. But Judy, I want to ask in, in your formative years in PR, I've always said that great writing skills, attention to detail and work ethic will always differentiate you you know you yes. get a, a new hire and you're like oh my gosh they can write yes they can pay attention to details <laughs> yes. and they will work and do their job uh, yes, yes i hired yeah. a good person yes so but in the 10-year range of experience we really need to have mastered the tools and tactics of pr and start moving into connecting with core business goals and at 20 plus years in pr it's all about leadership mm-hmm. having the mindset of the leader and the gravitas that comes with experience and self-confidence being able to sometimes fire a client or just mm-hmm. talk to them mm-hmm. the way they need to, you know, yeah. the way they need to hear it. Yep. And knowing the solutions to business problems or being able to think critically and not simply just communicate about it, but actually think critically and employ our skill set. And most of all, knowing how to manage people and systems and of course the money. I hate mm-hmm. it. I mean, I just I hate <laughs> everything to do with the numbers. <laughs> Necessary yeah. evil. It is a necessary evil. So where do you see the continuum of PR career development from your vantage point? Do too many PR people stay bogged down in one place in their career? And as a profession, are we doing enough to keep up with the demands that are being made of us? It's funny. That's a really great question, because I think it's something that that senior level PR practitioners grapple with a lot. You know, I've served on the board boards of PRSA and, and other like organizations. And that's one of the things we grapple with in terms of creating workshops and professional development because it's all developed for junior level professionals all of right. it all of it mm-hmm. and i think the challenge is that for the most part and and when i was on the prsa board this is what we found is that when we developed content for senior level practitioners either they didn't show up because they don't have the time or they, we found that they were getting the professional development in other places because the organization had never offered it. So they were doing things like I, I did this too. I be- belonged to Vistage or they were doing YPO or they were doing entrepreneurs organization or they were doing those kinds of things to help them as a holistic professional and not just a communicator. So I think that that's why is everything from a PR industry perspective is focused on the junior level. And then the industry set, sort of says, Again, they're handing the ball to the other team and saying, "Okay, if you want senior level coaching or professional development, go to the business organizations and get it. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was a member of a group similar to Vistage and had a business coach. And really that took me to the next level. Absolutely. Of being able to bring real business knowledge to the table with Mm -hmm. clients Mm -hmm. and not just my own business, but to be able to understand our clients' business goals and tying business outcomes to what we were doing. And so, but you're right. I mean, it's, unless you have time to go get an MBA, which I've always wanted to do, but I'm just like, wow, when am I going to have time to get an MBA? (laughs) Same. (laughs) Same. (laughs) I just still dream about it. I want to take a year off and get an MBA. Yeah. Do the the executive program somewhere, but that's still, it's still a full-time job. It is. Yeah. Yeah. And well, I, and I was on the PRSA National Board about 20 years ago and started out as a student about 30 years ago. And I seem to remember when I started out in the business and started getting involved in the organization, it seemed like there, of course, being at that age, it seemed like there were, it was all more senior level 
professionals. And I remember that the dialogue back then was all about how do we get the students? How do we get the younger one? It was like a a reverse issue. And when I was on the board about 20 years ago, I had co-founded the new professionals group, which later became the new professional section. And ultimately that section became the largest section of PRSA. And over recent years, the organization has vastly skewed younger. And it's, and I think that it is reflective in the programming to your point. And now the struggle is how do, you know, the question is the reverse. How do we keep the senior practitioners? How yep. do we see, yep. how yep. do we keep them interested? Fascinating how, that yeah, it's switched. And, yeah. And I huh. mean, how do we get more from the College of Fellows to get involved or right. more people? Right. From, so, it's really a conundrum and it's one thing that i think that industry leadership we have to all be asking these questions of inside or outside of industry associations how is the industry across the board all of us whether we're affiliated with a group or not how are we bringing along the next generation or how are we engaging in purposeful mentorship and and things like that and that may kind of get into some of the myths out there in the in PR <laughs> that we need to dispel. And as you know, Jenny, I mean, we and Kelly had mentioned it. The reason we call this podcast misinterpreted is that not only do we talk about how women are misperceived in the workforce and in leadership, we also dispel these larger myths and stereotypes about PR. We try to anyway, or we try to address them head on. Also, a lot of myths and stereotypes in business in general, workplace issues, sometimes issues in society. So I guess my question here. What is a myth out there in the PR industry that you think needs dispelling or some deconstruction about it? Well, we've certainly talked about some of them. I mean, the idea that we're going to get you on Oprah or the New York Times and everything's going to be finished and you, your cash register will sing and you'll be happy. But, you know, I'll tell you that the, re- the reason we have a business called Spin Sucks is because when you are with somebody for the first time, if before times, before the pandemic, when you were traveling for business or you're in an elevator or you're at a cocktail reception or wherever it happens to be and somebody says to you, what do you do for a living? And you say, oh, I'm a communicator or a PR professional. They inevitably return with, oh, you're a spin doctor or yeah. oh, you're one of those people who lies for a living. And you're like, no, I'm not. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But yeah. that is still very pervasive in our, just I think externally, what people think. They think that we just pick up the phone and we call our friends and say, hey, can you put this news item on the front page of the New York Times? Great, thanks. And that's what we do. And we we lie, we lie or massage the story to get it to be. Well, yeah, I think the problem is that is actually what some people do. <laughs> that's the problem. I mean, I mean, the smiling and dialing or oh. this whole like we talked earlier about this myopic media relations as the one and only thing that PR even represents, as opposed to all of these very multifaceted disciplines, whether it's crisis communications, community relations, employee engagement, internal investor relations, strategic digital communications. I mean, all of these air other areas aren't even considered or they're considered the domain of 
the advertising department or the marketing department or the sales right, department right, right. or God forbid yep. you're reporting to the HR department right. <laughs> <Yes>. or what <laughs> what have you. It does go back to what we were talking about earlier, too, in terms of just we, we've not done a good job of advocating for ourselves and the industry associations. All of them, I think, have got to step up. That's one of the reasons I've become affiliated with the PRCA, the Public Relations and Communications Association in London. I think that of of all the groups that they're one that is doing a, a tremendous job in trying to get a much really change the narrative and change a a mindset about what we do. And they're, and they're doing it through professional development, but they're mm-hmm. also doing mm-hmm. it through a lot of different outreach. So. I would say, I mean, Kelly, chime in on this. I mean, in terms of that subject matter of of how we're misinterpreted as a as a line of work, what's another bee in your bonnet? Oh, well, here's a myth I'd like to dispel. You do not personally have to know a journalist in order to pitch a story and get them to cover it. I think that's a big myth. And I can't tell you in how many pitches I've been asked, whatever, whatever the vertical is. Who do you know? know? Who's your list? Who are the, what's the, who are your list of, and I'm like, man, like you missed the whole point. I mean, I don't don't have to know a reporter in any vertical if I have something that's worthy of being reported and I know how to package it up and I know how to speak about it. And so I think that that's a big misperception is that we really just have a, a Rolodex and we just pick up the phone and get it done. And if only it were that easy. Yeah, I, I kind of boil it down to the view of PR as the cookies and punch people. Like we are the party planners the and, and we're the, yeah. yeah. And, and I do have this viewpoint that they either fall into one category or the other. They're the who you know, or they're the what you know agency. Mm-hmm. And Clearly, public relations has to be a combination of both. But when I say what you know, I think it's the agencies that really bring an intellectual capacity to understanding business problems and being able to connect the dots of communication solutions to those measurable business outcomes. Those are the agencies that are going to survive and thrive, I would think. Although I have to say, there are a lot of agencies out there that are the party planners, that are the cookies and punch agency that have been around for decades. And that is what they do. And that's what they hang their hat on. And people pay them, you know, sometimes astronomical money to do really, I think, very do work that is not very representative of what the industry should be and it's that that's what gets the bee in my bonnet i guess well i'd like to think that both of our firms are the what you know and that we leverage what we know in all different capacities and so as we wrap up the chat jenny i just want to i've got another trick this is not a trick question but (laughs) (laughs) okay (laughs) anytime there's like i ask something like this if there were three things that you would want our industry to focus on most over the next year what do you think those three things should be you know i really think we should capitalize on the opportunity that we were handed during the pandemic because we faced the mother of all crises with everything with health with society with government it was everything all wrapped up and i think many executives finally went oh holy crap we have to have a communicator who knows what they're doing in the room for this kind of stuff because we have to be able to communicate it correctly 
So I think we have to take advantage of that opportunity that we've been handed. We have to measure our results. And I know I know how hard this is because and it's different with some of the work that I'm personally doing with clients is attribution and figuring out like some clients want to know how many leads you're you're driving. Your work is driving that lead to marketing qualified that lead to sales qualified. Some clients want to know first touch attribution. Some clients want to know last touch attribution. So I understand how challenging it is, but we have we have to figure that out. And number three, I think, is we have to figure out this not just gender, but diversity and equality as well. Like, I feel like even though the industry is 75 to 80 percent women and it's the 20 percent is represented by men in leadership, which is horrendous, that's horrendous. I also think we're I, and I don't know the exact number, but I think we're fairly white and that's not OK. We have to yeah. figure that piece of it out. Absolutely. We're well, very we white. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, indeed we are. We've loved having you on the show, Jenny. Thanks so much. These insights are always important things to talk about and to focus on and really to try to integrate some solutions in the way we collaborate with our clients, the way we move work forward with our teams. So you've given us a lot of really good things to think about. We appreciate it. I'm so glad to finally hang out with you guys. Well, and thank you for supporting (laughs) me, Jenny. I mean, you've really been a great friend and I look to you for great ideas and just to bounce things off oh, and i've loved like, to know i think we should go on a girl's trip <laughs> I think we should do, drink too much wine <laughs> some Top of these shop. stresses yeah it really does it uh it's, sometimes it's time but to our listeners want to thank you for supporting the misinterpreted pr podcast as well by fletcher marketing pr you can connect with jenny dietrich on linkedin and follow her across social media also follow spin sucks on twitter Follow her on Twitter via handle Jenny Dietrich, and that's G-I-N-I-D-I-E-T-R-I-C-H. And Twitter handle Spin Sucks. And listeners, please follow us at Twitter handle Fletcher PR. You can also follow me at Twitter handle at KD Fletcher and Mary Beth at Mary Beth West. A special thanks to our sound engineer, Chris Hill with Knoxville-based Humble Pod. Thanks, everyone. Until next time. Thanks for joining us on Misinterpreted, Public Relations Demystified. You can keep up with the latest on the podcast at FletcherMarketingPR.com and on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you listen to podcasts. We'll see you next time.